as a minister. He talks about himself as a minister in this section. And it's a, a, a great glimpse into the life of a pastor and how he views what he does. But it's great to apply what he says into our own lives as well. And so that's what I hope happens today. And uh, we need, as Christians, to better understand what the work of a minister is. And some people have asked, you know, what do you do every day? And my answer to that is, depends on what's going on that day. Because I may have a schedule laid out for the day, and I always do. But that doesn't mean I get to stay on that schedule. Because calls will come, people will drop by, and, and oftentimes they'll drop by to visit, and that's awesome. I love that. Uh, they will off, oftentimes they will call, and they're in need of counseling at that time. They may have been rushed to the hospital, and off we go. So you know what I'm saying? It's hard to say. Even after hours, you know, my phone doesn't go off. And I'm not saying that to say, well, look at me. I'm just simply saying it's kind of like you are, isn't it? It really is. It's just like you are. Because your phone really doesn't go off. Because if somebody needs you, they're going to call you and you'll go. Sure. Maybe you have a plan for the day, but it can be interrupted as well. The thing is, we still have things that we must get done. And so you've got to find the time to plug those in and get it done. But I hope that today you'll also understand that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 that we should imitate his example. And I hope and pray that we could say that to people. Do what I do in, the, in, in your life related to being a Christian. Do what I do. Boy, that's a powerful thing, isn't it? Oftentimes parents will say to their children, do as I say do, don't do as I do. How many of you heard that one? Yeah. So in other words, I don't have enough discipline in my life to make the changes, but you, however, need to do that. Well, that just doesn't wash very well. So we need to deepen our walk with God. And if we're going to do that, we need to follow an example showing us how to do that. And so I'm going to do my best to lead you. And I hope you will follow me. But I want us to notice here, beginning in verse 24, that Paul took great joy in suffering for his brethren. Look what he says. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I will and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church. Now, I've underlined on the outline for you the phrases I want you to underline in your Bible or highlight in your Bible. Because it's important to understand that Paul understood his position. Now some would say, Paul suffered greatly. And he did throughout his ministry. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 4, uh, he suffered. He was beaten, he was shipwrecked, a snake bit him on the hand. I mean, he's had plenty in his life. Been flogged in prison. Now, some would say, well, you know, preacher, it looks like in that verse he's saying that his, his suffering is more important. It's, a, it's more of a completing process than what Christ suffered for. And I can understand why you might feel that way, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying that I rejoice 
in my sufferings for you. In other words, I'm doing this because Christ has already done it for me. So if you and I endure struggle, if you and I endure pain on behalf of Christ, we should rejoice. Did he not say that in Matthew 5? Rejoice when they persecute you. For so they have persecuted those who have gone before you. So if they laugh and make fun of you and ridicule you, hey, and welcome to America, because it's going to become more and more apparent that you and I are the outsiders and not the insiders. So get ready, America. Get ready, Christians living in America. More missionaries are sent to America than are being sent from America to evangelize the world. How does that strike you? Is that not an awesome, interesting statement? It's true. Verify it. Study it. Look it up. More are coming here. The church is growing worldwide. It's not here. Here, Japan, Australia, and Great Britain. Church is not growing. It's not growing. Mark led their first week of VBS last week. They had 220 kids every day come to VBS. That's awesome, isn't it? But it was a, a collaborative project between the Methodist church and this Christian church that started there. Methodist preacher there is preaching baptism by immersion. What's up with that? He said, he said, well, I've got to preach the Word. I thought, what's up with that? So you see, people are holding the book up as the way to go. What are we holding up? And what are we living by? So suffering will come. Get ready. In Philippians 2, he talks about that same thing, how he rejoices in the sufferings for the brethren. He wrote both in these epistles... Uh, that the suffering, and, by, and while he was writing about these sufferings, I should say, he was suffering as a prisoner in Rome, locked away. But why, why was Paul so willing to joyfully suffer? Why was he willing to do that? Well, one reason is right here in this passage, verse 24, it says, To fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And, and again, it's not to suggest that Christ's sacrifice lacked anything. In fact, I found this quotation from Howard Hendricks. Listen to it. We should bear in mind that although Christ means by means of the afflictions which He endured rendered complete satisfaction to God so that Paul is able to glory in nothing but the cross, the enemies of Christ were not satisfied. They hated Jesus with insatiable hatred and wanted to add to His afflictions. But since he was no longer physically present on earth, their arrows, which were meant especially for him, strike his followers. It is in that sense that all true believers are in his stead, supplying what as the enemies see it is lacking in the afflictions which Jesus endured. Christ's afflictions overflow toward us. Boy, there's some truth there. You want to take out your leader? Fine. But they still want to inflict lead, uh, harm on the leader. Leader's not there, so you've got to go after the followers. That's why the apostles huddled up in the upper room. When they saw Jesus die, they all fled but John. 
He was the only one who was willing to stand publicly and stay by the cross. All the rest of them never even showed up. But they huddled up in the upper room. So God had to get them out of the upper room. Thus we have the day of Pentecost. And they understood. And, and they all, except John, died martyrs' deaths because of their desire to love God no matter what. But Paul gives another reason that he suffers joyfully for the brothers. He says, and it's the same reason that parents joyfully suffer for their children. If you, if you would look at 2 Corinthians, also, uh, you know, I, I've got a, a bevy of scriptures in there under that. And be sure and look those up in your quiet time this week. But Christians are like parents, and, and children are to parents their pride and joy. Even if those children don't always act the way they're supposed to act. They don't do the way they're supposed to do. You still, parents, you will go to death for those children because you love them that much. I've talked to mothers especially who will have such a love for their children who are in prison. They still love them. They see the good that's in that person that's in prison. There's something about a mother's love that's incredible. So much like God's love. Unconditional all the way and complete. But he suffers so much because he viewed them like a parent views a child. He viewed them with pride and with joy. 1 Thessalonians 2, Philippians 4. And so I guess a good question right now is do we imitate Paul like this? Do we share in the afflictions of Christ? Are we willing to suffer gladly for others? Well, there's going to come a time, and probably sooner than you want to know, when this, we're going to find that out. We're going to find that out. We're, we're taking in small toiletry items for the homeless, and the box is starting to fill up. I'm proud of all of you. Just try to jot a note down. Don't forget to bring a, some toiletry items. Make, make sure they're those uh, trial size, you know, little ones. Because it's easier for the homeless folks to carry those around. But if you want to bring full size, that's okay too. Because that, that'll all get distributed in the right way. And that's going to be an ongoing ministry for us to reach out. I'm going to try to get the other churches in Jinx to join us. And uh, let's just overload uh, family services with uh, all kinds of toiletries to help those folks out. Wouldn't hurt a bit. be awesome. But you know, are we really suffering? Are we ready to suffer for... Uh, our brothers? Do we consider our brethren a source of great joy and pride? Are we willing to joyfully expend time and energy and even blood, sweat, and tears in serving each other? Folks, one of the, one of the things that says volumes to the community is how when they drive by our church, they see how it looks. If the paint's cracking off of the side of the church, what, what message does that send? If grass is growing up in the cracks, what, is, what message does that send? Right now, our, the weeds in the grass are overtaking our playground. So it must mean we don't really love kids. Well, somebody needs to get out there and get that done. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I give that to you to let you deal with it, what you want to do with it. We're here most of the time during the day, and if I'm not, call me. I'll make sure the door's open. All right? But we've got, see, there's always things to do. But it's hot, preacher. Good. Come at five in the morning. 
or 10 at night. Might be able to see it 5 in the morning. The point is, there will always be needs. And rather than being told about the needs, let's look for those needs. I appreciate Berlin every week in the heat in the summer coming up and mowing our grass, keeping it looking nice, and that's awesome. But there's always those little things, the flower beds. And you, know, and you might say, well, preacher, I, what? that's not a spiritual. Oh, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Because how people see us is their first glimpse of who we are. Okay? Now, are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to go? If we can truthfully say yes, and can we truthfully really say yes if we don't make the effort to assemble with each other at every opportunity that's available? If, if we won't try to encourage each other when we're weak in faith or admonish each other when we stray from the faith? If we're not willing to love them, to patiently endure them, to quickly forgive them when they offend and sin against us, are we truly trying to imitate and love the brethren? So often in church, it's been said that Christians are the only ones that shoot their own wounded. <laughs> we need to be as quick to love as we do to judge and condemn. And if we would be lovers of people, where they can find a safe haven. And you know, that's what I love about you. Is that you really are that kind of church. Where you are a safe haven for people to come. People who've been hurt in other churches. They've come and found healing here. They may not stick here, and that's okay. Because our job is just to be the arms and the hands and the eyes and the ears and the mouths of Jesus. What God does in their life is up to them. But we must do what God's called us to do. Let's be an example, like Paul said. But notice also in verses 25 through 27 that he considered himself a servant. And in the King James it says steward, but in our text it says he was commissioned. King James says steward. That's a, that's a powerful word. Let's take a look at those verses. 25, I have become its servant by the commission stewardship in the King James. God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery of that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. And verse 27, by the way, is, this, is the inaugural verse of Christ in youth. They used to quote this verse every year at Christ in youth. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of His mystery, right here, which is Christ in you. Youth. <laughs> the hope of glory. He used to quote that. Bob Stacy quoted that over and over and over and over until it was drilled into your head. But there it is. I don't know if they still do that or not. I haven't been to CIY in a while, so I'm looking forward to going and see how they've messed it up. <laughs> Humble opinion. But his view of himself was very quick to be humble. Very quick to be humble. The word minister is the Greek word diakonos, and it means one who executes the commands of another especially those commands of a master, a minister. And Paul viewed himself this way and other preachers this way. And that's somewhat different than what you see from a lot of preachers in our today's culture. And people will take those preachers and whoo, put them way up here. And so when they start to make mistakes, 
Number one, they, people turn a blind eye to it and don't see it. And or they fall away because their faith is in the man and not the man. I've asked you and told you for now 15 years, do not lift me up. Number one, as big as I am, that will hurt me more when I fall. So don't lift me up. Number two, I like to stay down here where you are. It's more fun down here in the trenches. Respect, sure. But praise, wow. I'm not sure I'm worthy of it. But I love you. And I know that you love me. How do I know that? Well, you keep coming. <laughs> you keep coming. But Paul considered himself a servant in three ways. Of the church, in Colossians 1. Of Jesus Christ, in Philippians 1. And of the gospel, in Ephesians 3. We need to, as Christians, be servants to the church and to Jesus and to the gospel. You see, we've gotten away from the gospel the gospel is what saves people. The good news about Jesus saves people. I can talk to you all day about how great you are and about how good you are. But I think part of my job is to remind you that you haven't quite gotten there yet. Just like me, I'm sure I have not gotten there yet. I love it when people leave on a Sunday and say, Boy, you were stepping on my toes today. I'm simply sharing the load from the load, the load that's been on my toes all week long. Because you see, we're all in this together. But also as a servant, he considered himself a steward or, or commissioned from God. And that word is uh, oikonomia. And it means the management of a household or of household affairs. Wow. That's an interesting way that Paul saw himself related to what he did for the church. He was the steward. He was the guy that managed the household and the household affairs. He had been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, it's called a mystery. Because it had been hidden for so many ages. But now had been revealed. And indeed to all the nations it had been revealed. If you look at Romans 16. But what is this mystery? Well, Paul says it right here in verse 27. It is Christ in you, that is the Gentiles he was speaking to, the hope of glory. Because you see, what Paul is revealing here is that salvation is available to every person. Not just the Jews, to every person. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how far away you've drifted. It only matters that you've made a commitment and a relationship with Christ. He's just a heartbeat away from being with you. From being with you. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is call. And Paul considered it his duty as a steward, as commissioned by God, to faithfully share that gospel with everybody he encountered. All nations. But how about us? How about us? Let's take a look at Mark 10 up on the screen. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. 
Paul had one primary goal in his life. And he considered others as he considered himself as servants. We should do that. He can and, and, and so we need to serve other people. We should, according to Galatians 5.13. So do we really consider ourselves stewards of the gospel? We're entrusted with the greatest message of all time. And yet, are we hoarding it or are we sharing it? Are we fearful or do we walk in faith? Does our life back up what we say? See, and there comes the, when the rubber hits the road. Because on Sunday, we can look really righteous and religious. But what about Monday through Saturday? Whether we view ourselves in this way, it's how God views us. And we will be judged how we've served as stewards according to Matthew 25. Last point I want to make from our text is in 28 to 29. Because Paul had one primary goal in life. Let's take a look at him. Verse 28. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. So what is that one goal? It's to present every man perfect in Christ. He was not out to just preach, not out just to make converts, because you see, then he could brag about all the people who've been converted. That's not what we need to brag about. He was more concerned, and he wanted to make mature disciples so that they were then complete in Christ. And God has been burdening me and burdening me with my in my heart and in my ministry <coughs> related to that very thing. My concern for you is that you are deepening your walk with God. But I recognize more and more that you can't go any deeper than I go. And if I'm not going deep, you're not going to follow. Amen? So let's go deep together. Let's move from the milk to the meat of the Word. Oh, that's a big journey. It's a huge step. But if you want to go, I'll guarantee you'll grow. But to accomplish that, how did he accomplish that? He used every appropriate means. Let me give you five of them. He preached... Jesus Christ. He preached Jesus. He proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ, His life, His teaching, His death, His resurrection. Only by presenting Christ to the man can a preacher, a preacher hope to present to the man and present Him to Christ in a perfect and complete way. Secondly, He warned when necessary. His preaching was both positive and negative. There is a place for negative preaching. Hellfire brimstone. There is a place for that. The Ten Commandments. Reproof. Correction. 2 Timothy 3.16 Negative preaching serves as restraining rails on the straight and narrow path of life. But it has to be balanced with positive preaching. Teaching. Otherwise, we just simply go from guardrail to guardrail. <laughs> we need to get on the path. Follow the path. We need to go from the milk to the meat. We need to make it happen. 
Thirdly, He taught as well as preached. And that's a little bit what I did this morning. I had you teaching each other so briefly. But yet, that's you got a chance to dig in, ask a question, and look, and found some answers. You might say, well, preacher, I, I haven't figured out the answers yet. Keep digging. Keep looking. Don't put it in your Bible and wait till next week when you find it, when you open your Bible. Do some searching this week. He didn't limit himself to public forums. In fact, he taught with, by private instruction, and he did it often, Acts 20 and verse 20. To present every man perfect in Christ, there is more of a need for personal instruction than one does not find in public assemblies within the church. When we offer classes, come, be a part of them. I'm so encouraged by seeing uh, more adults come to Sunday school. Don does a great job teaching depth. He's in the meat. Come get some of it. I don't know if I can get up that early. It's just an hour. Give me a break. You'll be up at 5 and 6 in the morning dragging yourself to work. I got you. Come on. It's great. Well, I just don't get a thing out of it. Maybe you need to check your heart at the cross and find out why you're not getting anything out of it. That's a personal issue. Number four, he expended effort and emotion. He labored. He agonized. He depended. Number five, he depended upon God in his labors. He realized that without God, he was nothing. Could do nothing that was long-lasting. He always looked to God for help to accomplish his goals. I hope that by way of the message this morning that we will become imitators like Paul. That we're concerned about whether or not our brethren and others are being presented perfect in Christ. That we're willing to expend the effort and the emotion necessary to reach that end. If we will view ourselves as Paul viewed himself as servants and stewards commissioned by God, if we will consider our suffering for our brethren a great privilege and source of joy, then I'm convinced that we will gladly devote ourselves to the same goal that Paul had. Let's think on these things. And consider what we can be doing to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask You this morning to move to our invitation time. That You would touch each and every life that's here this morning. Father, there are those here today who have not been obedient to You and have not followed the Gospel plan and call. Today would be a great day. There are others here who heard that call some time ago and then for whatever reason, the distractions of life come. They feel perhaps they've slipped away a little bit. Backslidden as we hear some of our brethren talk. Well, I'm here to say, God, that as a, as a fellow backslider, I know what restoration feels like. And your restoration comes in an instant. Your restoration comes in just a heartbeat. Your restoration comes because I'm willing to say to you, God, I made a mistake. Here's the mistake. Cleanse me. Make me whole. 
And I have experienced in my own life the infilling and indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. And many in this room have as well. Some in this room need to feel it again. God, today would be a great day for them to experience that. That restoration, that recovery. God, we just ask you, earnestly plead with you that you'll touch them. You'll have them consider making a commitment to you. It takes a lot of courage, Lord. But I know that you are there with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Great song. Let's stand as we sing together.